This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. And I'm your host. I'm Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist of Mississippi Today. Uh, really excited about our guest today. Somebody I've kind of known online for quite a while. Fantastic. Very inspiring guy. Coach Bill Courtney is a native of Tennessee. He's from Memphis. That's the other capital of Mississippi. He's also an Ole Miss graduate. And though... He was a successful business owner. In 2003, he began volunteering at Memphis's inner city Manassas High School. It was an effort to turn their very dismal 4-95, and 10-year record around, and he did that. And uh, one day, three film producers showed up with cameras and shot 550 uh, hours of film, which is a lot of film, and turned it into an incredibly inspiring Hollywood documentary called Undefeated. And next thing you know, Bill's walking on the red carpet with Pete Diddy and George Clooney and so forth. Uh, won the 2012 Academy Award for Best Feature-Length Documentary. He's now an accomplished author and public speaker, but he's created something that's really cool. And, and you know, we live in this very divided time, and Bill has turned... Uh, I think that on its ear. He now hosts an incredible podcast called An Army of Normal Folks. It's doing incredibly well. It's got as high as 10th in the nation on Apple. Bill Courtney. Yeah. All that's, uh, I don't know. I think I need to fire my publicist and let you just handle it. I know. I I really feel like you need to write me a check on that one because that was very (laughs) glowing. No, but it's all real. I mean, you're a real guy. and. And that's the thing I've enjoyed about getting to know you, even just our texts and talking over the years, is what you see on, it's amazing, when they do 550 uh, hours and they bring it down to an hour and a half, they could have made you look like anything. Uh, they, they, they could have. And, you know, Marshall, I'm, I'm a football coach and own a lumber company and I'm a husband and a father and a guy in Memphis running around just doing life. Yeah. And these three goofballs show up with some cameras and, um, you know, most people think Academy Award winning film and they imagine boom trucks and trailers. It was not that. It was three guys, two cameras and a rented car um, that followed us around and 550 hours of film. So we thought for sure we'd see this thing on channel 344 at 2 a.m. one Wednesday. And a year and a half later, I'm walking down the red carpet of the Academy Awards. It's the most ridiculous thing. That had been a surreal moment ever. Yeah, I mean, it is. You don't. Pete Carroll and I have become friends, and he said to me one time, he said, "You know, I still don't know how you win an Academy Award coaching football." And I'm like, "Neither do I." But it happened. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, surreal is the right word. Yeah. Um, not anything at all that uh, I was looking for or sought after, but Lisa, my wife, and I. Who is a rock star. She is a rock star. Yeah, and she and my wife, Amy, are very much alike. I think they keep us both very grounded. Uh, she's my compass, yeah. for sure. Amen. Um, and, you know, we when we, we thought, okay, well, that's our 10 minutes of fame, and it turned out to be much more than that. And with all the opportunities for appearances and TV shows and books and speeches and now this podcast we'd kind of decided that okay we've been blessed with this platform oddly 
And if we can use it to talk about stuff that matters, if we can actually have civil, non-threatening conversations about race and creed and belief and politics, but just do it in a civil, non-threatening way and maybe go against the grain of uh, societal preconceived notion about how our differences are supposed to define us rather than how I think they need to define us and help us grow, then let's take the opportunity. And so that's what we've done the last 10 years. You know what I think I like about the podcast the most, and I've said this a lot, that obviously what you see on social media isn't exactly reality. No. And, and, you know, and it's very because you're being fed, obviously, number one, they're going after your amygdala. They're not going after your frontal cortex. They, they know that you're going to most likely click on something that outrages you or makes you on edge. But also, too, they feed you what you want to read. And the thing I love about your podcast and I think why it's successful, number one, the guests, you've, and we'll, we'll dig into that in a little bit. But number two, it's reality. It's literally real people out there seeing problems in this country and acting like Americans normally do. In finding solutions. It's true. And on the at the advent 20 years ago of shows like The Mole, yeah. um, reality TV was pretty unscripted. It was more documentary-type TV where producers just let people be producers, and then they took a bunch of film and tried to piece together a story. Yeah. Today's reality TV is 100% scripted. Anything you see on TV today that is, quote, reality TV is just taking people you don't have to pay a lot of money to that are A-listers and producing a show that's scripted. Um, that's just the reality of it. You know, if you think Survivor is really happening the way Survivor unfolds, you're out of your tree. It's just, it's all produced now. That's right. Um, the thing I like really about an army of normal folks and podcasts is we're telling... Um, unadulterated, unscripted, real-life stories of real people doing real things. And and I think that's one of the reasons why it's become so popular so quickly mm -hmm. is not only the inspiration and the goal and the movement behind it, but in terms of the entertainment behind it, it's very, very real, and I think that comes through. I, I meant I asked you this before we got on the air, but uh, you, you said, well, you're my producer. Uh, but where do you get the guests? Because like I said, the guests are so good. And, you know, that I think you're, you're doing a great job as a host. And, and I can tell you from experience, it's sometimes not easy to do that, you know, because sometimes you'll get a guest. When you ask them a 15-sentence-long question, they'll go, yes. Yes. <laughs> or, and, and you're or, like going, or the, the great one is, wow, like I, I, I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. Well, I'm asking you to now. Yeah, you, could you, you know? <laughs> hey, we got a little, we got another 30 minutes, yeah. so go ahead and think about go it. Why think not? Think about it a little bit openly. Yeah, yeah you're right, it, yeah. and I appreciate that. But um, with regard to the guest, um, we're distributed by iHeart, but our producer is Iron Light, Iron Lights in Chicago, and yeah. Alex Cortez is my producer who works for Iron Lights. And it happens had, to be in the studio right happens now. Happens to be in the studio. Yeah. And and most producers are a complete pain in the neck, and so he is. Hey, but Lacey's listening right now. Okay? He is listening. So, no, yeah. she's listening. That's right. But the other thing he does is he spends an exhaustive amount of time working on finding I – I guess your listeners need to understand the premise of an Army of Normal folks is – we're not going to interview A-listers who have big philanthropies that put their name on something but don't actually do much. Right. We're, 
we're not interviewing people you've probably ever heard of. We're interviewing average, daily, normal folks from all across our country who are, who are using their passion and their skill set and seeing a need and filling it with their abilities. And we're telling those stories. We're unpacking who they are, where they come from, what motivates them and why, and then telling these stories by through their lens of what they've done and illustrating that you don't have to be part of some NGO or somebody rich and famous or have a ton of money to exact some positive measure of change in your community. And telling well-produced, hopefully entertaining stories, but also more importantly, hopefully inviting people to be inspired to do mm -hmm. some of this work in their own communities. And so because these people aren't well-known, you have to do a deep dive to find them. And so Alex and the team have done an incredible job finding guests. But now, after only six months, we're growing organically. We invite people to join the movement, join the Army of Normal Folks. We invite people to tell us their stories. All of our guests give their personal contact information, and we give ours. And now many of our guests are coming from to us from the show. Mm -hmm. They're reaching out to our website. They're reaching out to the Army. They're subscribing and then telling us stories of incredible people that they know of and their neck of the woods. Alex calls them, finds them up, and then we're reviewing them. So now we're organically growing the quote army literally thing i love about also to the guests I and mean, there's also that it's great ideas that are spreading like for instance i'm sitting here in jackson mississippi and i can hear somebody with an idea in jackson tennessee and say hey, that's a good idea i can use that here i think that's number one number two there's a lot of people there that should be really bitter about what life has handed them but they're seeing opportunities they're like taking the eye out of bitter and they're making it into better you know, and I think that which, you know, you could put an A in there, make it batter and then it's cookies and that's even better. But um, so that's about as creative as I'm going to get. Or you could put a U in there and make up, butter, make butter. Oh, that's a Southern thing. That'd that, be perfect. That's right. Butter and batter. Yeah, That'd be great. Butter, butter, we'd butter, all have a heart batter. attack by the end of the show. Yeah, that's so, right. Fantastic. And I was just thinking about that because you got um, and a, a Malum. I'm going to mispronounce her last name. Ann Malum. Who, who did back on my feet. So she's, she's like sitting there running and she's having, you know, she's seeing homeless people, but she's running because of her own needs and therapy and everything well, yeah, else. She's, yeah. she's, yeah. um, she's bulimic. Yeah. And, and she, her father is an addict and lost their entire family nest egg. And her, um, her therapy, her personal therapy was running. She was athletic growing up and she just ran. And so she's a normal person. Normal people deal with financial troubles, uh, family troubles, addiction, all kinds of things. Normal people deal with normal issues, health, all kinds of stuff. And she was dealing with her own, and she she ran in Philadelphia, and she was just a kid. She was 25, 26, running around Philadelphia for personal therapy. She would go eat a gallon of ice cream, throw it up, and go run 12 miles. Wow. This is, I mean, she yeah. was struggling. Yeah. And it, Every this path she took, she ran by a homeless shelter and always saw guys sitting up on the porch. And one day they yelled down at her, is all you do all day is run around. And she yelled back at him, is all you do all day is sit on your butt on the porch and just kept running. And she thought about that engagement. The next day, walked up the steps, went into the person who ran the homeless shelter and said, I want to teach these guys how to run because I believe that they can commit to something that you can't cheat like every step that maybe we could get them over what has them in a homeless shelter in the first place. And the, and the deepness of it was she saw her father. She saw her father sitting up on those steps. Oh, wow. And 
she started a seven-person running club, and today that's in 19 different cities, and there are 7,000 former homeless people that as a result of in getting involved and back on my feet now have jobs and permanent housing and they're self-sustaining as a result of learning the discipline to run. Getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's a normal 26-year-old girl who had no power, no money, no nothing, had a passion about running, had a discipline to run because that was the one thing she knew how to do, saw an area need, and used her talents and her passion to fill it and has changed lives. And there's stories like that all over our country. We just got to tell them. Not to get into the turkey person thing because we're going to really deep dive on turkey people, but... You know, and a few years ago, I had malignant melanoma. Three doctors missed it, and I got anxiety really bad, really messed up. I can't me. imagine why. Yeah, when your own skin tries to kill you, you know, so yeah, that sort of thing. That's so, a reason for anxiety. Yeah, it caused anxiety. I think it was legit, but the thing was, a friend of mine's dad had passed away from melanoma at about the same time I had it. Hmm. So together, we started a 5K, and we started screening people, and we started catching other people's melanomas. And they were like, oh, thank you. You allowed me to be able to— you know, and the thing was, it was we started it because we felt like we needed, you know, we both felt like we were helpless. We couldn't do anything against the problem. So we took action, kind of pushed into our fear. And next thing you know, we're helping other people. But, Bill, I'll be honest with you, after 10 years of doing it, and we finally dissolved the race after 10 years because his family moved away and, and we just kind of, it kind of ran its course. But it was the greatest drug in the world to solve that anxiety was just being able to help other people. And I think there's something to that, just being able to wake up in the morning and say, okay, what can I do to make the world around me a little bit better? The greatest payoff for getting involved and doing something right for the right motivations, the right reason is you get a thousand times more out of it than you put in it. That's right. You do. And, and I think, I think, I think people probably recognize that, um, but until you do it, you don't understand the euphoria that uh, comes from it. And you have to be careful with that euphoria. You have to not think too much of yourself, which we'll get well, yeah, to we'll in a little bit. Yeah, we'll touch it after the break. We'll talk about turkey yeah, people. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's a real thing. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Man, we got a great guest today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a good Monday. Of course, we always love having you around. Uh, Bill Courtney's with us. And uh, it, it, you may have seen... The movie Undefeated. Bill, I was just, I was sitting, I rewatched it last night, and I was just thinking, those kids are in their 30s now that you coached, and our kids are like almost that now. And it was like, where has the time gone? This this last 10, 10 years has gone by really quick. It's um, spooky, but it beats the alternative. That's right. That's right. It is good to be vertical. <laughs> it is. That is definitely on that. You know, and I think about that, and we were talking a little bit about and we're going to deep dive into some of your other guests, but uh, the podcast is fantastic. Congratulations. I'm Thank glad you. it's having success. I'm glad that you get to go hang out with Kelly Clarkson on, on TV. Which yeah, it was fun. That was fun. I'm glad she she could have had you sing with her. That would have been oh, fun. Oh, that would have not been fun. That would have been a great. You could have been like Mike Rowe. You could have, you could have done a little bit of singing there. No, on, Mike Rowe's got the singing on. God, he does. He, he really can does. Sing. That dude's got it. Going I know. I'm sitting here. He said, I was like, you sang opera? <laughs> he did. Actually, that's he sung opera to get his, uh, his, his, card, his, card, his union card to be able to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he stayed with opera because he ended up enjoying it. Now he does Barbara Cart. Barbara. Barbershop quartet stuff. And sells whiskey. And they're great at yeah. it. And he sells singing whiskey or something. Yeah. Noble. Noble whiskey. 
But let's 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 deep dive into that because I thought it was a good episode. And he talked about the influences in his life, and I think about your life, right? Your dad left you left your mom when four, and you had no relationship with him whatsoever. He died, Marshall, earlier this year, and I got a phone call about a week and a half later, letting me know he was dead. That was my some total relationship with the man. That hurts. That hurts now, but it really hurt when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, you know, because you would you would score the touchdown, and there wouldn't be anybody there to walk off the field with you. I telling you did a good job. I lettered in six sports in high school. My yeah. ID said I was a triathlete. I'd try anything. Yeah. So and you were chess champion. Uh, golly, how do you know these things? But yes, I'm a stalker. Okay, okay Bill, <laughs> that's it, man. Bear, you better change the locks on your house. Well, the no. point is, my father was the uh, point guard and starting quarterback at East High School where Sybil Shepherd went to high school and held records until the late 90s. And he's a, he was a sports freak. Yeah. I know he knew. When we share the same name, there's no way when I played six sports and was okay in a few of them that he did not know that I was – you know, we shared common interest apparently, and I was doing stuff in town of note – and the man still never showed up. It was very sad, and and it, it it I won't say I'm completely over it at 55, but mostly. But I will say it profoundly affected me even into my early 40s. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go Dr. Phil on you, but just knowing you and how you're driven and how you do things. I mean, I understand Manassas. And I understand what you're doing now, and I understand the fact that you, the way you run your business and so forth, because you know, you're, you're, that's why you're a coach, you're a mentor. You want to be there in somebody's life the way that nobody was there for you. Well, the way my coaches were there for me, but But, nobody. But to say, I'd take that Dell Flickinger. Wow. Where, who, I don't know if it's you or your producer, but well done. No no offense, Lacey, seriously. Is this me on this one? I got to give Marshall this one. Okay, there you go. Dell Flickinger was my math teacher. Yeah. And ninth grade through 12th grade, I had him every year, and he was this kind of round John Lennon glasses, um, but looked like a starting right guard kind of guy. And all I knew is a math teacher and, and had this chess team. And, you know, in ninth grade, I thought that was about as gooby as it got, but I, I started liking him as a teacher. And I hurt my shoulder my freshman year, and he did the stats for the football team because he's a math guy. And I found out. He started at center in Minot, uh, North or South Dakota, and in four seasons in high school, they lost one game and won three state championships. I found out he was a concert pianist. He played the drums for a rock band and was just this— A renaissance man. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it cloaked in goobiness. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with the guy. And he said, look, you don't have anything else going on until basketball season starts. Come on. The and so I started playing chess and um, he taught me chess and I learned how to think critically through that experience. And the man meant so much to me. And he was um, he was a mentor, a friend, um, a teacher. He was all of these things. And the thing I may have learned most from him is you can be smart. You can you can play chess. You can be a musician. You can be an athlete. You can be all kinds of different things, and you don't have to be defined by one thing or necessarily what people 
think about you when they look at you. And that was real important for me because when people looked at me when I was in ninth and 10th grade, I thought they saw a fatherless kid. Oh, wow. And um, I was a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't see that, and he helped me to see it. Some people that go through that kind of trauma, though, they, they turn inward and then they fade. But it seems like you did just the opposite, that you kind of— expanded out into the universe. You got an academic scholarship to Ole Miss. Um, <laughs> All right. This is ridiculous how you know these things. <laughs> no, I mean, I got to gotta set up the story yeah, here. But, but I mean, you and, 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 you know, I mean, I love me some Ole Miss. And every time I drive up there, I feel like that I'm driving the worst car on campus. Me too. But you it, definitely were. I, I, your my, car, yeah. It was a 78 white Caprice Classic with plastic seats. You could peel back the purple velour <laughs> carpet on the passenger side and literally see the road beneath you. It was about a three-inch by three-inch hole, but it was white on white, and my friends called it the road commode. The road commode. It was the road commode. And, um, yeah, it, it, when you roll up to Ole Miss in the road commode, you don't look – you know, one thing does not look like the others, and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but you played it. I mean, it, it worked I loved for you. It. it worked for you. It, it really worked, did. It, it did work for me. Yeah. Um, but it was guys like Del Flickinger and Philip Spain and Zach Street and these coaches that mentored me and helped me see myself in a different lens than the trauma was showing me in the mirror. Yeah. And um, it, it, it speaks to why an army of normal folks matters so much That's because right. these guys were normal folks that I don't know where I'd be without. And so I know the power of normal people using their discipline and their passion to fit areas of need and how it can change lives because my life, my, my life was changed significantly by normal guys. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, I now understand why mentoring was so important for you because it was like you were literally paying that blessing forward it, it, that, that you got. And, you know, also too, and the one thing about when they shoot 550 hours of a film of you and they catch you in raw moments and then they put it up on a screen <laughs> – that moment when you were losing your blank uh, <laughs> and screaming at the team and you were talking about character. Yeah. That, I mean, that was like peak Bill Courtney right there. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. But it was like I said, you were so honest at that point. But it, and I, it, was something, it was a point that's your character isn't defined by when you're successful. It's when you're, you're, when you're losing. There's an old adage that pretty much anybody's played sports. If you, know, you go to coaching school, you got to learn all these yeah, old character, adages. Character oh, yeah. builds. Rub yeah, some know, dirt but, on it. Yeah, um, get your mind right. character and all yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. I just think that's garbage. Right. I don't think, oh, no, I, don't, no. I don't think tough times build character. <laughs> no, l losing just you know, like depresses you. No, it's terrible. No, I think tough times reveal character. That's right. I think, I think what builds character is the preparation, the work you do, um, to uh, prepare yourself for the tough times. And then when the tough times come, then your character's revealed, uh, uh, the character you have or the lack of it. And so it's not about the tough times defining characters, about the tough times revealing characters. It's about the work you do to prepare yourself for the tough times that matters, the foundation you build. You and I were talking about that a little bit. You know, I, I look like the tin man when I get up out of a seat, you know, and <laughs> partly it's because of all those years of football that I played. But you and I were both talking about that, how I wouldn't trade the lessons that I learned from playing football for anything. Nope. It was the greatest education that I ever received. Now, nah, I've got sciatica in my lower back. I'm deaf in my right ear from head damage, nerve damage. I, my left shoulder is screwed up. My right shoulder's starting to hurt. Um, I've got arthritis in both of my thumbs and all of it came from it. And I will tell you this, 
I consider myself so fortunate yeah. um, because each of these elements remind me of the lessons that define me today. Like what? Character, commitment, integrity, uh, the dignity of hard work, uh, selflessness, grace, forgiveness, leadership, teamwork, all of the basic fundamentals that drive me on a daily basis with my wife, with my children, with my business, and with anything I do out in society, um, all of it was taught to me uh, on a baseball field, a football field, uh, by, by normal guys, men that uh, took their time to invest in a really traumatized, hurt kid. One of my coaches in football is now uh, played for Bellhaven right here in Jackson. And I didn't realize that. I, of course, I, you know, there's always a Mississippi connection, right? right. Two degrees of separation in Mississippi. <laughs> and he popped up on my Facebook feed one day. He was here for a funeral, one of his uh, teammates he played. So they were going to go down to the reservoir and put the ashes and so forth. And so I was able to catch up with him. I talked to the man 30 years, right? And so he kind of explained some stuff because I had a coach that was kind of rough on me and so forth. And he explained some of that situation and everything. But he was he's become as good a friend now as he was, you know, a good a coach back then. He told me when I was a sophomore, he said, um, potential, because the Atlanta paper said I had potential, right? And so he said, you know, and this he came up to me one day in the hall and he said, you know, Potential is a French little word that means you're not worth a darn yet. He didn't say darn. <laughs> and, and I was just like, I didn't realize potential was French. That was my <laughs> – wasn't very smart. I, but he was right. And, and he's like – he told me that. And he's, he said the other day because he's getting inducted in the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame for his base. He was a, a really good baseball coach too. Wow. And he said, I didn't tell you that. To, to bring you down. I told you that to make you work harder. And he said, you did. And I'm proud of you for that. So it was good. But that's it, the thing. It Coaches are 50 amazing. 50 years old, if a high school coach, even at 50, if a high school yeah. coach who's 75 or 80 years old and still around looks at you and says he's proud of you, yeah. it matters to you. Yeah, because he saw you at your worst, right? You know, you know, you know. And then yeah. He, he was, saw you during your developmental time. Right. He was part of it. That's right. Yeah. So it was really great. Um when you when you were, you did a lot of things at Ole Miss, and, and I'm obviously don't have your transcript here, so don't worry. I didn't go that deep on the dive, but you you and I both we both worked for the student newspapers, and you wrote, and you're a very good writer now, and I can understand that. You had to write one of the hardest columns in the world, though, is when you were there when Chucky Mullins got injured. Yeah, I was actually on the field when Chucky Mullins oh my got, God. got hurt. Yeah. Um, on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, in fact, Coach Brewer died just recently, and I saw Coach Brewer about a year and a half ago, and we shared a, a really warm embrace. That, that, that time, uh, Coach Brewer and I got to be pretty close. And, um, but, yes, I, I saw him. I saw it all. And, I mean, when I saw it all, I, was, I, I played defensive back, and so I was watching in the backfield. I remember when Chucky hit Brad – um, you know, people have always asked me, Brad, catch the ball. He didn't. Um, and I saw when Chucky rolled over and I thought, wow, he's out cold. Um, that didn't, nobody, I would have thought, you know, immediately thought neck, broke neck, but I thought he was out. And then I'll never forget the first two guys that got to him. They frantically waved and, um, Oddly, Chucky's name is Roy Lee Mullins, and yeah. our head trainer was Leroy Mullins, no oh. relation. But I remember Mr. Mullins running off the sideline, and there was instantly 15 people around him, and they were messing with his face. And when he was on the gurney, they came to our sideline and then rolled to the 
to the end zone to take him out. I just will never forget they they didn't remove his helmet, but they cut his face mask, not off, but the two side clips they cut off, and then they folded the face mask back, yeah. kind of like a hood of a car, yeah. and had him taped down. And his face had already swollen so that there was no gap between the edge of the uh, helmet and his face. And I didn't know what that meant. And then I'd say it felt like an attorney. I'd say six, seven minutes later, the hel- you could see the helicopter lift off from the corner headed to Memphis. And, you know, yeah, it was a, a traumatic day. My time then, though, with the whole Chucky thing was was writing a column about it and um, being involved in the fundraising. And then three weeks later, a kid from Lauderdale, Mississippi named Alan Moore, very poor. Uh, back then, the insurance for high school football players was completely inadequate. And he suffered the same injury mm-hmm. Chucky did only three weeks later. And um, that's when I got to meet Chucky because we decided we wanted to raise some money for Alan Moore in honor of Chucky because the university and everybody rightly, you know, jumped to Chucky's aid financially and medically and everything. And Chucky was going to be taken care of. But this kid, only a year removed from Chucky, um, because Chucky was a freshman, this kid was a senior, um, was going to go through the same thing and had nothing. And so I, I visited with Chucky and just asked him, you know, would, would you be offended if we raised money for this kid instead of you, but did it in your honor? And um, he, was, he, he gave us his full blessing. And then the university and Coach Brewer, uh, the city of Oxford got behind us, and that's when we started the Charity Bowl in honor of Chucky Mullins for someone who suffered a, uh, a similar accident. And I'm proud that even today the Charity yeah. Bowl still played, and it's the largest Greek philanthropy project in the world. That's incredible. It's raised three and a half million dollars so far, I think. There's, you know, I mean, obviously, I remember watching Brian's songs as a kid and everything, but I don't think there's a story that's any more touching, sad, or motivating than Chucky Mullins's. There, Chucky. Yeah. Chucky means what an incredible human being. Yeah. What an incredible human being. You know, real quick, Chucky's more than just a football guy, too, because Ole Miss was struggling with Dixie and the Confederate flag and everything at that time. And, Chucky's story and his persona really usurped all that. Yeah. And I think also oddly had a courageous healing part for our, yeah. our, our university. It really did. I mean, once again, like we're going to talk about a little bit more about the podcast. It just shows that there is a goodness in humanity when even though we may not see it on the media, we may not see it on social media, but there still is a lot of good. In we're surrounded by it. We just got to start thinking about it instead of yeah. what the government and the national media says we got to think about. Right, because, I mean, you think about it. There, and, you know, I mean, I'm in the media, obviously. I've done a bit of cartoonist for years. I make fun of people for a living. That's what I do, <laughs> right? Uh, but also, too, I do realize now that there is a tendency to because people need to get the hits, they need to get the clicks. And so, you know, the more outrageous you're out, I could draw certain politicians riding on eagles and make a lot more money, <laughs> you know, but I'm not that way. I just kind of draw what I do, but you know, so, but, uh, so. But I will draw you on an eagle if you'd like. I mean, we, we can do that. It's <laughs> uh, hilarious. That's, that would be Better kind be of a, a big eagle to carry a, this year. It'd be a pretty around. funny drawing, to be honest with <laughs> you. No offense, Bill, but I think I could have a lot of fun with that one. Oh, goodness. I, I tell you, though, how did you come up? Because, like I said, I, I look at 
I mean, number one, just we could do a whole show on your business part because you've had some challenges. I mean, you're the only person I know that's like, hey, I'm going to start a business and do it, what, 10, 9 days before 9-11? So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah that, that's, that yeah, no, no stress timing's there. Timing's everything. Nice job on my part. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's worked out in the end. It but, has. But, you you know, then, of course, 2008, the housing crisis and, and the, well, the financial crisis that caused all kinds of, of problems. Yeah. So, all all kinds of uh, issues there. And then, of course, oh, yeah, COVID, by the way. And, oh, yeah, you get stuff from China. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah what, what could go wrong there? So, I mean, but you, you've managed to go through it and everything. But I, the, obviously, you got famous, you know, that was your 15 minutes of fame for, for, the, for the movie. But the way, if that hadn't happened, I still think that you and I would still be talking about this. Hmm. You would have figured out a way <laughs> to do a podcast to get this out there. Because, number one, you're not shy. Uh, you are opinionated, and but you also, I mean, you and I, I think we kind of agree politically on just the way of the world and the way they see it. You would have figured yeah, out. Yeah, I agree. We agree you, then that most politicians stink. Yeah, that's why I draw them. Perfect. Know, I, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, if there's any politicians listening to the show, I love you. Uh, you're wonderful. No. But, but the bottom is I think you would have figured out a way to do this because I think this is something that's needed at this time, and, and that's just how, you, how you're wired. That, I appreciate you saying that. Um, Alex, my producer, did some really cool research, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's close. Yeah. Pew did a thing that said that uh, 80% or so of people – in the United States knew that when they listened to national media, Fox, CNN, CNBC, Newsmax, whichever side of the aisle you're on, that, um, that whatever you were listening to was shaded to one political viewpoint or the other. They recognize it. Yeah. They also said, like 85% said, when they read a social media report, that they know that m much of it is probably shaded or just factually inaccurate. Yet those same people... 82% of those same people spent more than three hours a day either reading social media reports or listening to national news. So the thing is, we know it's crap. We know it's inaccurate. We know everything's shaded. Yet like sheep, we feed ourselves with these narratives. And we wonder why we're so divided. Um, and I'm just sick of it. And I think there's a better way. And I think... An army of normal folks mm -hmm. taking back the narrative or culture and celebrating one another regardless of how you vote, how you think, who you love, how you worship. Um, I can, Regardless of how you think, vote, love, worship, any of that, if you're doing something really great for somebody in your community, I can celebrate right. you. And I think, I think not only does an army of normal folks have an opportunity to do some good for all kinds of places in our community, it also on a national level has the opportunity to create a, a foundation or a basis for us to see each other as human beings again, mm -hmm. rather as the way the national media tells us we're supposed to view one another, which is false. we got to start talking to each other again instead of past each other. Yeah. It, you know, when I grew up, there was a, you know, I was taught I may vehemently disagree with what you have to say, but I will defend with my right, my life your right to say it. Yeah. Today, our kids are taught I may vehemently disagree with what you have to say, and if I do, I need to destroy you and cancel you. That is that is toxic, um, and it it stops all growth of ideas. It's it stops humanity. It's just dangerous. And again. There's an enormous amount of wealth and power created in D.C. and in New York and our national media around crafting narratives that divide us and continue to perpetuate that thought 
uh, that we have about one another. And I want an army of normal folks to be the counterbalance to that. The only thing you've said about the army of uh, normal folks that I disagree with is you said that people in rich people with fancy clothes you know, that normal people can make a bigger difference than rich people with fancy clothes. I may be butchering a little bit. And my disagreement with you is that I, there's one exception to that. Dolly Parton. <laughs> Bill. I mean, seriously, Dolly Parton might as well just be queen of the universe because uh, she gets stuff done. <laughs> she does get stuff done. And and it is a it is a a very large simplification buzzword thing no but it's 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 pretty accurate because every day there are people right now they're listening to this show that are just busy that's why i said you can't get too upset about the world you know what you're reading on social media because there are people that are not on social media that are actually out there working and getting stuff done all over the country it's just our job to bring those stories to you to remind you that our humanity trumps everything and the trick is how do you create those stories because obviously i remember one time i had a uh, a marketing professor that said, remember, people don't want to be educated. They want to be entertained. <laughs> and, and, and I've got a cousin who's made a zillion dollars making finance very entertaining. So it can be done. But, but he's educating. He is educating at the same time. That's the thing. You, you can do both. Your show is very entertaining, but it's also very educating at the same time. That may be the best compliment I've gotten from it so far. Yeah. That is the idea. Yeah. The idea is if you listen long enough, you, look, you may not be enthused by Ann Malum's running story. You may not be enthused by John Ponder's story about prison reform. You may not be enthused by Arshay Cooper's story about all African-American row teams who are competing with Ivy League schools now. But eventually, because we have such a, a diverse group of people and stories, if you listen long enough, you're going to hear a story about something you are passionate about and you do have the ability to do, and you're going to know a need in your community. And if you listen long enough, you, you will have a blueprint of something you too could do. Mm-hmm. And, and more important than just the blueprint is you'll have the contact information of the architect of that blueprint to talk to that can help you walk through something similar that you can do in your community. And if we could grow this, this, this community, this army of normal folks, we had millions of people joined together in this movement. I do think we can change the course of our cultural preconceived notion about one another and about what philanthropy is and about, um, what we should think about one another. Amy Amy Crenshaw, I just thought that episode was fantastic. She has a cafe. She's up in Jackson, Tennessee. She's 63 years old, and she's just getting it done. They create this cafe, basically. 63-year-old mom of nine. Of nine. Six adopted. Yeah, I got three. You got you got four. Yeah, nine. and she That's still like, has two more than we do combined. And she still came across saying. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. Uh, well, and then she decides to start a cafe oh, where yeah. you pay what you can afford. Pay what you can afford. And, and if you can't pay what you can afford, you work. You work. And you yeah. earn it in the kitchen. And she and I would think, okay. Oh, she's great. Well, that sounds wonderful. But yeah. what doctor is going to sit down next to a homeless person? Right. You were, like, you were pressing her on that throughout yeah. the show. And she was yeah. saying, I, well, I went, So I went up there and looked. Yeah. And sure enough, attorneys, doctors, real estate developers, and homeless people eating together at table, talking, sharing stories. Uh, the doctors are paying twice what they can for their what they should for the lunch. Yeah. So the homeless guy can eat. That's incredible. It, it is absolutely no, it's just incredible. incredible. And it's yeah. 
I mean, it, and like I said, the fact that you're getting, because you're talking about this one homeless gentleman that worked there a lot named Cadillac, who was the fiercest hombre in the whole, you know, just like everybody was, she loved the guy. And he ended up passing away, I guess, from a drug overdose. And, and But it was just that kind of thing. And I was thinking about the, you you have an army here in Mississippi. And Mississippi, of course, when it comes to need, we're probably right there in the top of we're, we're number one in a lot of bad things. But we also have a huge army in the state. I have never seen in the 27 years that I've lived here, and I think I'm got to do the math here real quick. Yeah, 27 in a week is how long I've been in Mississippi. I have never seen a place where there's more people that just look around and go, oh, it's not getting done. I'll have to do it. And, and there's so many great stories like that in Mississippi. That's why I think your podcast is just great. And I think people need to listen to it because people are always coming up with new ideas and there's so much need here that I think the army definitely needs to expand here. There is a, a orphanage in Haiti that we told a story about a guy making beds for children without beds in, in Idaho, a pastor who supports an orphanage in Haiti, who's in Florida, heard the story, sent the podcast to the director of the orphanage in Haiti and now the and they and the orphanage in Haiti has a school and they also have a shop. And so now the orphanage in Haiti, the orphans now, are using their shop to make beds for children who have families and are not orphans in Haiti, but make beds for them so that children in Haiti have beds. So we have orphans in Haiti making beds for non-orphan children in Haiti who don't have beds because of a story a, a pastor in Florida heard from our podcast about a guy who makes bed for bedless children in Idaho. If that does not demonstrate the power of an army of normal folks, not only the podcast, but the people themselves, nothing will. And you're right. The people in Mississippi are incredibly philanthropic, and yeah. and and it and it's a diverse. The people in North Mississippi and the people on the coast are two different tribes. Yeah. Right. And it's a very diverse state. But but one thing that's universal about Mississippi is this place has a heart, and if you listen long enough, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for Mississippians to get involved, and they'll have ideas. And like I said, blueprints and, and access to the architect of the blueprint. And if like uh, we were saying earlier about the Internet and social media, there actually is a, a bright side to it. Too. There's a very bright side. That's right. Yeah. As long as you're spreading good information. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, and we're back with award-winning coach and public speaker Bill Courtney. Bill, man, this has been a great show. Appreciate it so far. Um, folks need to check out your book, Against the Grain. It's still out there. It's a fantastic book. Thanks. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good wisdom in there. So, I hope. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and I'm not just and saying. And it's not that. mine. It's mostly me repeating stuff I've been taught. No, it's, so. Yeah. No, but it you put it in good context and some good stories in it. So it's a good Thanks. read. You know, you're a good writer. You Appreciate really are. It. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said, the, the bit about legacy, I thought, was something that really hit home for me. And uh, that was important as well. You know, like I said, you've gotten to walk on the red carpet, which, like I said, and, and I know I know Lisa probably enjoyed it a lot. That had to you had to kind of feel like a penguin flying over, or what you know, just yeah, kind of exactly fell a little bit out I of place. Lisa looked the part because yeah. she's gorgeous. Yeah, I look like a big fat redheaded guy in a rented tux, which is exactly what it was. <laughs> Did you get it? I mean, were people nice? I mean, were people... Oh, I mean, people were great. People love that movie. Yeah, people yeah, were yeah. great, gracious. Uh, Ryan Seacrest, all, all of them were, yeah. were wonderful to me. Um, but, it, you know, 
a little bit of a fish out of water there. It's I never, I know, again, I was not looking for that. Just yeah. happened. No, well, that's the thing. That's why it happened. No, probably I think so. if, you, if you've been looking for it, it would have come across. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You know, that's why I'm still, you know, my career's just kind of plateaued for years because <laughs> I've been looking for it. So um, the Kelly Clarkson thing, though, like I said, you got to go to New York and be on the show and everything. Yeah. And that's like a four minute segment. It was not a real super long. And I, I've been on CNN and Fox and Friends and stuff like that. And sometimes that can be the longest four or five minutes of your life. Yeah, I mean, but she was pretty. pretty she was chill. great. She was. She was very. She seems like a very good interviewer. She she's a good interviewer. She's actually really. I've met a lot. I've been on a lot of shows and stuff, but she's great. She's yeah. a nice person. So that was good. And but I loved you were explaining the turkey person story to her, and she was kind of like, kind of like, oh, really? And in a way, it sounds harsh, but there's so much truth to it. Unfortunately, there is. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, briefly. Um, my first year at Manassas, um, I couldn't get the whole team to buy into the basic principles that I wanted to buy into. They were all buying into football, but half the team was buying into character, commitment, integrity, things we've talked about. And the other half the team, while buying into football, wasn't buying into that. And so I went to my guy and asked him what's up. He didn't really want to tell me. And I said, come on, man, you're not going to hurt my feelings. He said, coach, they're trying to figure out if you're a turkey person or not. And I'm like, all right, what is that? And he said... Every Christmas and Thanksgiving, people roll into our neighborhood and they give us gifts and hams and turkeys, and we take them because we ain't got none. But then they leave and we never see them again. Makes you wonder if they're doing that because they care about us or they're doing that to make themselves feel good. And he looked me down the eyes. He said, what are you really doing here, man? Mm. And, uh, you know, if you serve in soup kitchens or you give gifts away at Christmas or turkeys at Thanksgiving, that's a beautiful thing. The story is not to disparage that work. The question is, what's your motive? Yeah. Are you motivated by the simple edification of someone who's not as blessed as you? Or are you motivated because of all the black back slaps you get for doing all the good things for people? And I'm just saying we got to constantly check ourselves because there is a certain euphoria that we get um, from the work that we do in our communities. We just got to keep grounded and, rem and remain focused that our motive is for someone else, not for ourselves. And then it all comes back to you. And I'm living proof of that. I think, you know, both of us have a very similar faith tradition, but I think at the end of the day, that's what we're taught in Sunday school. Probably be, so. Yeah, yeah, you know, to, to keep pushing outward. That's, that's probably where it comes from. Yeah. For me, but... Um, the lesson was reminded to me. But that stung at the time, though, because you were at the time where you were literally, you know, taking time away from your own children. That's true. You know, I mean, it, was yeah, tough. It, it bothered me at first, but I, I'm telling you, man, it, it, it's the greatest lesson of your life coming to weird places. And that was a 17-year-old kid from the hood. Angels come in funny clothes. They sure do. They definitely do. Mm. Once again, how can folks find... Um, how can they become a member of the Army? How can they sign up and be drafted or they sign up or volunteer? Or? <laughs> no drafting. <laughs> okay. Uh, all volunteer Army. Um, okay. But we ask you to join us at normalfolks.us, which yeah. you can listen to the podcast on iHeart, Apple, wherever you find podcasts. Normalfolks.us is uh, the website where you can get to all our social media. And look, we released six months ago. We're new. We're fresh out. There's yeah. the, all of the all of the stuff is new. We have been as high as number ten on Apple. That's amazing. Getting lots of downloads, and we just want people to listen because the more people to join up and subscribe and listen, the more impact we can have. And um, you know, the stuff like this is how we're trying to get the word out. Yeah. So thank you because you actually drove down today to do this, and I really appreciate you making I'm the effort. I'm happy to do it. That's just good to get to see you in person. Well, I mean, really as, as many years as we've been talking and doing stuff together, it you know. 
this was long overdue anyway. Yeah. And and I appreciate you having me on and getting the word out across Mississippi. And so it was the least, least I could do to drive down and visit with you. Yeah, because I said I'd buy lunch. That's true. That's what did it. It's going to cost you $175. Turkey. Oh, man, I'm going to get you turkey. <laughs> I love it. Who does the art for your covers, by the way? I don't know. you got to ask Alex, the producer okay. guy. Okay. I'll yeah. ask him. Yeah. I'm the host. It's I don't good. know anything. Oh, I thought maybe you had a side you know, side gig drawing. No. but I mean, is there he, anything else you don't do, right? It, interestingly enough, I know an artist that might could help us there. I'm, I'm, I, I do, too. Yeah. Oh, he's all right. He's pretty good. He's decent. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Alex, thank you. He's in the studio, so I'm just saying thank him as well. Hey, thank you for listening, and special thanks to our guests for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear this or any other past episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio with episode and podcast produced by the incredibly talented and wonderful Lacey Alexander and Jermaine Flood, who steps in occasionally to help out, too. So stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit coming up next. Join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. I'm Marshall Ramsey. I hope you all have a great week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.